Hi, and welcome to the Ethnos New Brunswick podcast. We're so glad you're joining us. Ethnos is a new organization looking to join in the holistic, community-transforming work happening in New Brunswick and Highland Park. Part of that includes thinking about the spiritual health and vitality of our community. Each week, our gathering is meant to give our community a safe and helpful place for that. Today's episode, Christmas and Enemies, is the third in our series called Why Jesus Came, with the conversation being led by our head pastor, Yu Kan Chu. Enjoy! Uh, we're going to transition now into uh, our time of discussion and conversation uh, about uh, the meaning of Christmas around the teachings of Jesus. Uh, we do this, of course, every week because we believe as we think about what it means to be spiritually healthy and well, we believe we need a guide, we need a teacher, and we think here that Jesus is that unique teacher we should be processing and following and really absorbing uh, for our spiritual journey. Of course, if you don't subscribe to Jesus, if you're not a follower of him, that's okay. We hope this is still a helpful time and that you can get a lot of things from this conversation. But I want to get started today with a story, actually, before we jump into our usual opening question. And I heard this story recently. It, many of you know that uh, we haven't had electricity forever, right, as human beings, as human civilization, uh, as human, like humans in civilization, right? Um, I heard a story recently about that the turn of the century, not this, this not the 20th, 20th or the 21st century, but the, the century before, when electricity was kind of getting laid out in different parts in the United States. And, you know, uh, some of you may be aware that in some of the uh, more rural areas, electricity kind of got put out there a little bit later. Uh, in fact, I think there are actually still some towns in the United States where electricity actually is still very uh, difficult to access. In any case, uh, I heard this week a story about a situation where they were going into a small town in the U.S. and they actually got electricity set up. And so they uh, were monitoring if the town knew how to use electricity, right? And uh, they noticed this uh, one, one home where for about a week or a month or something like that, electricity just was not being used. And so they decided to do a pay a visit and just make sure the, the family understood, hey, this is how you use electricity. Electricity. Do you know how to actually use it? And so they, they knocked on the door, they went in, and they just started talking to this woman. And this woman said, you know, actually, no, I am using electricity. Like every day, I wake up, I turn on the light switch. Then I light my lamp, my gas lamp. And then at night, I put out the gas lamp. And then I turn off the electricity, right? And, you know, the person was kind of like, yeah, that's not exactly how you use electricity, right? Um, you you're supposed to put a light bulb in, turn on the light, and that's where you get light. You don't have to light another gas stove or a gas lamp or something like that. And it, it got me thinking that, that a lot of times I think Christmas and our access and our interaction with Christmas is sort of the same way. We, we think we know what Christmas is about, right? We think we know it's about, oh, yeah, it's about the lights. It's about giving gifts. It's, a, it's about this kind of festive sort of uh, mentality or attitude we have. And so we know what Christmas is about. We're turning on the light switch. But we really don't know what Christmas is about because we're still lighting the, ga the gas stove or the gas lamp. We're missing, out at th we're missing out with the actual meaning 
and the actual events and the actual power that comes from Christmas. And so this series, really, as we've been reflecting on Christmas, specifically on this issue of why did Jesus actually come into our world, it's a series designed to help us understand what is really, really behind Christmas and the first Christmas event. And so today, what we're going to reflect on as we think about why Jesus came and what Christmas is about is we're going to reflect on this pretty radical and crazy idea that Christmas was and is about God transforming our relationship with our enemies through his coming into our world on Christmas Day. Turn to your neighbor real quick, and let's think about this issue of enemies. I want to actually ask a, na- uh, a question with your neighbor here. Uh, here. It's pretty simple. Do you have some enemies right now? Who are they? Please don't gossip. Uh, please don't slander anybody here. But let's talk about this for a brief minute, all right? Two minutes, talk it over with your neighbor. Do you have, any, do you have enemies, and who are they? All right, so today, now, I'm not going to ask people to share if they have enemies and who they are, okay? Because that would be a little bit scandalous, I think. We're just going to take a poll of the room, okay? How many of you feel like you do have enemies right now? Just you, you have certain enemies in your life. Could I define enemy? I'm going to do that a little later, actually. Yeah, that's a good question. So, so just kind of raise your hand by show of hand. Oh, we're a very peace-loving group here. This is good. This is good. Okay, it's got some of you have. Okay, 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 okay. Some of you have. All right, all right. Um, how how many of you found this to be a, a a difficult question to answer? Because number one, you're actually you are a peace-loving person. You don't like to have enemies, and you're like, ah, that's kind of it's a little strange actually to label someone an enemy because that's a little harsh. How many of you felt like? Ah, this was a difficult question because I'm a peace-loving person. Yeah, yeah be, be proud. Be proud. You're peace lovers. That's good. That's good. <laughs> we need more of those people in our world. Okay, that's good. Now, how many of you were kind of on the opposite end? And you felt like this was easy. <laughs> and it was easy because, let's be honest, you're that kind of person where everyone's an enemy. Right? You're, you're just that kind of person. How many of you... How many of you want to be proud about that? It's okay. It's okay. Be honest. Yeah, okay. Some of you have two hands up. All right, that's good. That's good. All right, okay. <laughs> you know, this, this is an interesting question, right? Because, um, because I, I, I think while, while some of us are very peace-loving on one end and others of us you know, feel like everybody's an enemy, uh, it, it, life is a little complex. Things are a little complicated, Right? The extremes are always easy maybe to identify or to feel in certain extreme cases or extreme situations, but to be in the, life a lot of times is in the middle. And we, we're not sure sometimes if we do have enemies or we don't. We're not sure perhaps even what these enemy, who these enemies are and what they're, why they're against us. You know, it's interesting that when Jesus came on that first Christmas day some 2,000 years ago, a number of things happened right away. Uh, many of you know the story, right, that it was a, uh, a, a miraculous uh, situation where a virgin gave birth to a baby boy, uh, that person with Jesus. But uh, a number of things happened along with that birth of Jesus. One of the things that happened was that his cousin was actually born around the same time 
in a miraculous way as well. And if you read the two uh, biographies of Jesus that talk about the Christmas story, uh, both of them talk about this birth of a cousin by the name of John. And in fact, there were actually two miraculous births, right, on Christmas. And what's interesting is that when both of these babies were born, poems and songs were written by the parents. Last week, we looked at Mary's poem. When Mary found out that she was going to give birth to Jesus, she kind of just kind of burst out in, in a song and a poem. It's called the Magnificat uh, by some people. We read through that and thought about that last week. This week, we're going to read yet another parental song, a parental poem, but we're going to read it from the mouth of Jesus' cousin's parents, specifically the father by the name of Zacchaeus. And what we will find in this brief poem is that Christmas actually has a lot to do with this issue of our enemies and how God wants to transform our relationship with our enemies. Let's take a look at this poem. It's on the handout you have on the table here. And uh, I'm just going to read through the poem and kind of just jump right into some of the details. Now, again, this is kind of funny, right? I don't think you've ever seen this poem on like a Christmas card uh, or song in a Christmas hymn, uh, something like that, but it's, it's there in the original Christmas story. Let's look at this excerpt here. This is, again, from the mouth of Zacchaeus after Jesus' cousin is born on the first Christmas. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. Now the poem will continue on for a couple more uh, sentences. We've kind of cut it short here. But I want us to notice something really interesting here, right? This poem talks about a number of key themes, uh, some of them which were emphasized last week, this idea that there was a hope that these people some 2,000 years ago were waiting for, a hope for deliverance, a hope for salvation, a hope in the midst of hopelessness. But specifically in this poem, this hope was specifically to be delivered from enemies, the enemies of these people back 2,000 years ago. A couple things we want, we want to note as it's describing their situation. Number one, we get a def definition of what an enemy is. Anna was asking that earlier. And so if you look at sentence uh, number 71 and sentence number 74, where those two words are used, you'll notice that in 71, an enemy is a person who hates us or hates somebody. So if someone's hating you, okay, that could fall under a definition of an enemy. And then second of all, in 74, you notice that an enemy is somebody preventing people from living the whole good, just life that God wants for people, right? Notice how it reads, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us then to serve him without fear 
in holiness and righteousness before him, before God in all our days. So these enemies are preventing these people, apparently, from, from living a, a secure and safe life versus a fearful life. They're, they're, they're preventing them from living this life of, of holiness, of, of wholeness and justice. That word holiness means wholeness. We use that all the time here at FS. Wholeness, righteousness is also defined as justice before him in all our days. So this good life that God is wanting, enemies prevent us from living it. Now, if we think about this some 2,000 years ago, and when we think about it today, you know, it could be very easy then, in some ways, to perhaps identify who these enemies are, right? Uh, if you know the story, again, of that first Christmas, you'll know that the people that God came to visit through this Christmas story, they were an oppressed people. They were oppressed for hundreds of years. People had overtaken uh, their land, had overtaken their customs and forced them to do things they didn't want to do. And so they were looking for deliverance and they could easily say, these people are our enemies. And even today, as we think about today, for some of us, not all of us, but some of us, we could also say similar things. There are people who perhaps clearly hate you, people who clearly are trying to get in your way of living the sort of good life that you believe God has invited you to live. But I think as we kind of pause and think through the teachings of Jesus and think through this Christmas story with a little more nuance, we realize that it's actually not, not that easy to simply say, oh, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, and God is on the good guy's side and on, he wants to get rid of the bad guys. It's not easy, so easy to say that because the more we look into Jesus and his teachings, the more we realize, wait a second, there's a little bit of enemy status in all of us. In fact, very quickly in the teachings of Jesus, and this is the next sentence, uh, the next scripture excerpt, if you will, very quickly we, we realize that we have all been God's enemy at one time or another. Because if you talk about preventing somebody from living God's best, well, we do that all the time. We prevent ourselves from living God's best, don't we? We're our worst enemy, sometimes we like to say, right? But not only that, we, we sometimes don't agree with God's best. And we, sometimes we even hate God in varying degrees. In fact, that next scripture excerpt says, says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, while we were all still sinners, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Meaning, this story of Christmas with God coming into our world and then ultimately dying on a cross, God did that because we were his enemies. He wanted to make things right with us. He actually still loved us while we were still his enemies. And so this Christmas is about God, first of all, dealing with enemy number one, public enemy number one, ourselves. I wonder, as you think about the Christmas story, and, you, and as you think about how God 
is a God full of love, is a God who wants to be with us, is a God who has, like our song uh, said this morning, is, has gone just the full extent of, of pursuit for us. Did you know he did that because, even, or he did that even while we were his enemies? Now, of course, the, the Christmas story doesn't end there. As we continue to think about this, this teaching of Jesus and, and this meaning that God came here to transform our relationship with our enemies, we do need to talk about those who are other human beings who are actually against us. Not us in this room, but against us as other human beings, right? What did God come to do about that? What did Jesus come to do about that? Again, if you read this entry opening poem, you might think, well, yeah, God has come to simply get rid of the bad guys, keep the good guys. That's how he wants to transform our relationship with our enemies. Well, it's a lot more nuanced than that. The way he wants to get rid of the bad guys <laughs> is actually through love. That's how he got rid of us, so to speak, are the bad aspects of us. He loved us so that we could become his. But then he calls us to love as well and to continue in that transforming love that he extends through Christmas. Notice this next, next passage, Luke uh, chapter 6. Again, the biography that we are getting much of our Christmas story from. Uh, I've, I've focused on this, this passage, by the way, because it's really interesting. I mean, if you're into this kinda, these kind of statistics and facts, the word enemy is used in this biography of Luke only seven times, okay? Um, five of those times, excuse me, four of those times, it's used in a very uh, descriptive way. Three of those times, it's used prescriptively, meaning it's... Most of the time, it's describing who the enemies are, us, people against God, people against God's people, th those sorts of things. But when God wants to say something about what his followers should do about enemies, there's only three usages, okay? And they're right here that we're about to read, all right? Notice what Jesus says. And this is Jesus talking to those who have decided to follow him. He says this, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful 
and the wicked. And it's interesting, I think, that this opening song about the first Christmas talks about how God wants to transform things with the wicked. And as the story of Jesus unfolds, Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to do that. But it's going to be through something so radical that you can't even imagine. First of all, I'm going to die on a cross and make things right. But then second of all, I'm going to invite you to love like I've loved you and go and love your enemies in the ways that are detailed here. Now, some of us, of course, think of all the what-ifs right away when we read this, right? You're like, wait, hold on. Does this mean, and you fill in the blank, right? Does this mean I shouldn't have any personal boundaries and I just get kind of beat up on it and kind of walked all over? I don't think this is exactly saying that. I, I think there, there, there's still good reasons to think here that we can have personal boundaries, albeit this passage does challenge perhaps some of the boundaries that we currently have. I think this, this really is trying to get at the heart of the issue. Not necessarily all the what ifs, although those are important to try to figure out, but the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is basically this. Are, do we live kind of 50-50 lives? Meaning, do we interact with people in a 50-50 sort of relationship? Like, hey, I'll give you 50 if you give me 50. Like a 50%, 50% thing. Well, half-half, right? Is that how we live our lives? Or do we calculate, oh, maybe, maybe I think, maybe Christianity or following Jesus is about giving 60%, and I, it's okay to get 40% back. Or maybe 70%, but 30%. You know, are we living that sort of life? Is that where our heart is? Or are we like Jesus, who is 100%, 0%? Are we like God and Jesus, who basically loved us while we were still his enemy? And literally gave it all. without thinking of the percentage game. You know, there's this um, person named Carl Medeiros, and there are, there are a handful of uh, modern Jesus followers that I like to follow because I think they're living these crazy radical lives that I get inspiration from. And one of them is by the name of Carl Medeiros. And um, by the time our gathering is done here, uh, on our main Facebook page, uh, you'll get a post um, about his story and about his work. But Carl Medeiros uh, is one of the modern-day peacemakers in the area in the Middle East. And um, he is an expert in the field, and he is an expert practitioner. In fact, uh, he has sat down um, with the leaders of Hezbollah uh, to talk actually about peace with Israel and things like that. And specifically, he talks, believe it or not, he talks to them about how Jesus and Jesus' way of peace is the better way. Uh, you, you'll get the website uh, posted on Facebook, and uh, you can read through his books, his stories, and all these sorts of things. But I want to just read an excerpt of a conversation he had with one of the Hezbollah leaders uh, not too long ago. And if you don't know what I'm referring to right now, I'm referring to uh, basically uh, the conflict 
and the tension and the hate and animosity in the Israel-Palestinian area uh, that has been going on for a very long time. It gets into our news cycle every so often. It's very, uh, very dangerous, actually. But uh, let me just read really briefly from Carl Sorey. And again, this will, this will be posted on the Facebook page uh, because I think this is so fascinating. He says this, The last time I was having tea with Hezbollah, uh, this is, I, I had a conversation that went like this. Quote, Have you ever thought about employing the strategy of Jesus in relationship to Israel? It's simple, has immediate impact, and can be done unilaterally. Unilaterally. You can do it right now, in fact, all by yourself. No, he's literally talking like this to the Hezbollah leader. Yeah. You can forgive them, love them, start doing good things to them, bless them, pray for them. It will annoy and even confuse them as much as anything else you've ever done. What do you think? The Hezbollah's leader's reply, quote, Carl, Carl, Carl. I know this is the way of Jesus. They've had a, they, this is all documented in, in a, one of his books, and they've, they have, they've had a long-term relationship at, the point, at this point already. Carl, 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 I know that this is the way of Jesus, but it won't work with them. They will simply abuse this kind of niceness, and then where will we be? Undeterred, I asked, quote, so how is your current strategy working? I mean, what do you have to lose? He looked down and said, you know, I'm not sure I have the courage to do this. It might cost me everything. Quote, thanks for your honesty, I said. It costs Jesus everything as well. After this conversation, we prayed. We gathered around him and prayed. We prayed for wisdom. We prayed for courage, for honor, for him to do the right thing, the thing Jesus would do. Again, I, I, rec I realize that reading a story like this kind of really quick, apart from the, the fascinating relationship that Carl Medeiros has with Hezbollah, might be kind of difficult to imagine. But I hope, I hope this kind of just gives you a glimpse that what we're reading about with loving your enemies can be done. In fact, it's something that isn't just a nice theoretical idea. It can be done even in the most difficult of circumstances. And so as we think about Christmas then, as we think about how God wants to transform our relationship with our enemies, is God inviting you to love your enemy, to pray and bless those who hate you? The last thing I want to say, and then we'll uh, get into uh, some more groups to discuss this. We know that as Jesus spends time here, when he's born and he spends time and he begins his work of transforming our world, he will actually identify an enemy very clearly. 
And this enemy, he wants us to understand, is the real enemy behind all the enemies. It's the enemy we call today Satan, who's behind everything. Now, Satan is not this person with devil, with, with, uh, with horns and like red pigmentation and a pitchfork. That's not Satan. That's like a uh, medieval characterization of our personification of evil and Satan. Satan's much, much worse than that. Satan, according to Jesus, is the primary force behind all things evil here. And Satan is actually a personal force as well that directs and commands other evil forces to do evil in our world. Some of you in this room have felt those forces before because you've told me. Some of us in this room have, for whatever reason, found ourselves in certain circumstances where an overwhelming sense of negativity or evil or hate is present. Maybe it's because you've been doing something that has invited those evil forces in. Maybe it's because your family has had a history of engaging with evil forces. Some of you know very well what I'm talking about. Others of us are like, well, that's just weird. How do we get from enemies to talking about these kind of forces? Well, I bring all this up because the final usage of the word enemy in the teaching of Jesus comes when Jesus is trying to tell us, you know what? There is one thing I need you to know about the real enemy. And that is, I have given you power and authority over that enemy. Notice this last excerpt from the teaching of Jesus. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. This is really interesting because as we continue to look at the way Jesus overcomes this enemy, this real enemy, he again will do that ultimately through dying on a cross and rising from the dead. And he has to go through that because this enemy, this ultimate enemy, the way this ultimate enemy works is primarily through fear and guilt and shame. Fear in the sense that uh, this enemy will try to say, hey, I'm more powerful than you. You should be afraid of this situation. Fear in terms of fearing death. Guilt in terms of you're doing something wrong. Shame in terms of you're not worth anything to anybody. And so Jesus, when he dies on a cross and he rises from the dead, Jesus actually addresses all of those things. We're not guilty anymore. Because God has forgiven us. We don't need to be ashamed anymore because God does love us. Satan, this force of evil, doesn't have power over us. Because I've literally risen from the grave and overcome that greatest power, that greatest power of death. And so it's interesting that, again, Christmas, believe it or not, is the beginning of this transformation. This transformation of how we deal with evil in our world. 
how we deal with evil in ourselves, how we deal with the enemy ourself, number one, enemy number one, how we deal with evil and the enemies around us, we love them, and how we deal with this ultimate evil, this ultimate enemy, this spiritual enemy. I want you to take a moment and turn to your neighbors and just process some of what we've gone through here. Just process some of these excerpts we've read. Uh, what do you agree with? What do you disagree with? What do you find helpful? What do you find unhelpful? Uh, take about two minutes to do that, to think through this, and then we'll bring things to a close here. And so um, as we, you know, as we think about this, this theme that we've been on uh, for this uh, Christmas season, why, why did Jesus come? Why, why Christmas? Why this first Christmas? Today we've uh, touched on something that I think we don't really think about when we think about Christmas, right? We, we tend to think about the very happy and exciting things about Christmas. Uh, it's a little more lighthearted. Today we, we talked about how God came to our world to transform our relationship with our enemies, it's something beautiful, it's something radical, it's something disturbing, um, but it's something I believe we all need to engage with. And so as we usually do uh, every Sunday, we want to create a brief moment for us to personally engage with God. We want to give us some time to let the ideas from Jesus, His teaching, kind of bounce around and, and marinate in our hearts and minds. And we want to give a chance to respond to what God may be inviting us into. Perhaps today, you need to make some things right with God yourself. This idea that, oh, we're at God's enemies? Perhaps that's something that's hit you, and, and, and you need to just be like, God, wow, I, I didn't realize, yeah, you know what, I do kind of hate you. I, I do not want the best from you. I, I'm trying to avoid that, and, and God is inviting us to get back in line with him. Perhaps as you think about today's talk, you think about, oh, no, I actually have some enemies in my, in my life, people I hate, people I don't like, that, man, I need to begin to walk in love with, like how God walked in love with me. And perhaps you are thinking about the experiences perhaps you have with spiritual evil and the, the ultimate enemy that Jesus talks about. And so, God, we are thankful for Christmas. We're thankful for the various truths related to your coming into our world. And as we have reflected and engaged with this truth here today, that you've come to transform our relationship with our enemies, would that be a reality for us right now? Would that be a reality for us today and this week in the, in the relationships that you've brought to mind here today? We talk about this every week, God, how we are here to see the transformation of our lives, of our city, this place that we love. God, you know, you see everything. You know the good, the bad. Would you do what only you can do, which is change human hearts, human minds, so we engage and walk in the goodness that you have for us. Now, thank you so much for this time. We give ourselves to you again. And it's in Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Thanks again for joining us for today's conversation. For more information about Ethnos New Brunswick, visit us at ethnosmb.com.